you've never met Christ or know Christ, and if you're not personally acquainted with who Christ can be to you as an individual, um, this is a great time to, to come hang out with Northside because we're going to go through a little short series called uh, Finding Freedom. Finding Freedom. And this morning, as we begin this series, we're going to look at some of the richest verses from the New Testament. Um, it's a series of verses that promise and promises for those who follow Christ, it promises us freedom. You say, well, we live in a free country, so that's all good. But it's, this is the real freedom. This is freedom from emotional bondage, physical bondage, spiritual bondage, uh, freedom fit from, from the challenges that your own mind uh, causes you to, to be imprisoned by. So over the next few weeks, we're going to understand as we choose to trust Christ, we will be uh, finding freedom. And, and so our new series, we'll do it for three weeks, is called uh, Finding Freedom, and that's not how the logo should look at all. So we're not Finding Nemo. <laughs> Apparently my son watched some movies over the weekend, and uh, he's, on his, he's got his new medicine going, and he's watching uh, children's movies now. It's good. One of my wife's favorite movies, by the way. She can quote every word of that movie, so, <clears throat> or at least the parts where the, what's the blue fish's name? Uh, Dory, Dora, so she can she can quote all of that. So, but finding freedom that finding freedom is really about finding a spiritual freedom, an emotional freedom, and a mental freedom um, that we we can live on this. The Bible says Jesus promised that you could live here on earth, not just in heaven, but here on earth with joy, hope, and peace as the as the center of your life, as the focus of your life. And I watch a lot of people, I watch a lot of people that declare themselves to be Christ followers and Christians never get that. They never get that joy, hope, and peace. They live in misery and frustration and anxiety, and, uh, and they live under a lot of stress. And so I just want to share with you from Romans chapter 8, we're going to spend the next three weeks uh, looking at some verses that are found in one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at freedom, and we're going to talk about how to have uh, freedom from condemnation, that's today. Freedom from the power of sin, that's next week. And then freedom from hell itself. Um, we've been promised all of those things, and they all tie back to our relationship with Christ. We live in a culture that's absolutely full of condemnation. Now, it's interesting because if you, <laughs> if you get into the higher education world of of people who are who are hanging out in colleges and trying to explain how how mankind is getting better and better and better. Okay, that's that's a it's a really bad theory um, that that people have is that mankind just continues to improve. Mankind continues to get better and better and better. And they would say that we are functioning better as a society than we ever have. Okay, but the truth is we live. If you just look at the reality. We live in a culture full of condemnation. The, the poor people condemn the rich people in our culture. Um, rich people condemn poor people. And they all have their own little angst about that. They have their little gripes and personals. The liberals condemn the conservatives. The conservatives condemn the liberals. And they put them down really hard. The, the word condemn that I'm using means to, to put someone down, to judge them negatively, judge them down. So conservatives condemn liberals. Older generation put down... Younger generation, they look at the younger generation and wonder why they sleep till noon every day and play on their phone all day long. The younger generation condemns the older generation and wonders why they don't sleep till noon and why they don't play on their phone all the time. 
The Democrats condemn the Republicans. The Republicans condemn the Democrats. Lost people who are far from God, who don't know God at all, condemn Christ's followers. Say we're weak. We're using Christ as a crutch. He's not real. It's just a myth. And then Christ followers at times, sad to me, but those of us who are actually Christ followers, we condemn those who are far from God at times, and we look down upon them. Uh, many people in today's culture, they live with an enormous bunch of weights, and they imprison themselves. That's what I want us to talk about for the next few weeks. How we imprison ourselves in a lifestyle, and in activities, and in philosophies, and addictive behaviors that make our own lives miserable. We are our own worst enemies. We make our own lives miserable a lot of times. And then we strive to overcome that misery with man-made solutions. We look for ways to, to get out of misery, to not be sad, depressed, discouraged, defeated. We look for ways to do that that actually lead us to more frustration and more misery. So most, most of us um, turn to things that are either thrill-based or addiction-based or, or somehow um, we're trying to live in denial of the realities and God never intended for us to deny reality of hard living. Matter of fact, when he talked with the disciples, he would tell them, it's going to get tough. It's going to get really hard. There's a lot of health and wealth and prosperity teachers and preachers out there nowadays. Um, they make a lot of money going on TV, and they never use these verses on TV. Very, I mean, you just don't hear them. But there's, there's some verses where Jesus actually sat down with his disciples and says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If you're following me, you're going to endure hard times. That's reality. So as Christians, we can, we can just acknowledge, those of us that want to follow Christ, we're going to endure some very, very hard times. Um, but it doesn't mean we need to live underneath the strain of that. We actually can find joy and hope and peace in all of that. We can find out how to love those that are even condemning us, those that are making the times hard on us, the Bible says we can actually find a way to love those people and display Christ for them. So the freedom that we're going to explore in Romans chapter 8, today we're going to look at freedom from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, that freedom is based in a truth that's found in Romans chapter 7. But before you go there, I want you to see this verse in John 3. John three sixteen. pretty much anybody that's ever been to church or even a good football game, <laughs> knows this verse because it's usually in the end zone right behind the goalpost. For God did not, uh, John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 17 says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's important because one of the giant criticisms that Christ just gets all the time, people continually criticize Jesus Christ, people that don't understand the Bible, don't understand who Jesus is, people that don't ever want to have anything to do with God, people that criticize God himself, they criticize him for being a condemning God. You're sending people to hell, you're damning them to hell, that's condemnation. You're a damning God, you're a sinning God, you're a, you're a terrible, terrible God. I don't want anything to do with you. And, and I'm just telling you, the Bible says they're not thinking right. Their, their thinking is wrong. Jesus did not come to condemn but to save, that's the truth. He did not come to condemn, but to save. Mankind was already condemned by its own behaviors and sins. By its own behaviors and sin, mankind is condemned already. And Jesus actually tells, this is a conversation in John 3 that he's having with a great religious leader named Nicodemus, who becomes a believer. 
at the risk of his own life, he becomes a believer. But he's having this great conversation with him. And the conversation is, uh, Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he sent me, his only begotten son. And then he says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This second sentence up here, the second bullet point, Jesus did not come to condemn but to save. Would you all just say that out loud with me? Because I need that to resonate in your heads. Let's say it together. Jesus did not come to condemn but to save. One more time. Jesus did not come to condemn but to save. Please remember that because our culture... The humanistic elements of our culture really want you to believe differently about Jesus. And he is all about saving. And so when you look in Romans chapter, we're going to go to 8, but I want you to back up to 7 for just a minute. Chapter 7 and all the way back to verse 21 in chapter 7. Paul is talking about, um, he, he, it's one of my favorite parts of, of Paul's writings where he says, the things that I want to do, I never do them right. The right things that I want to do right, I can't do them right, but, the, but I do wrong. And the things that are wrong that I don't want to do because they're wrong, I do them anyway. And I know I'm wrong, but I'm trying not to do those things. I want to do what's right, but I can't do what's right because right is hard. And he's, just all, and he's talking about all through Romans 6 and 7, there's this battle between the internal man, men, women that we are, our spirit inside of us, the nature of us as men, and women, there's that nature that wrestles against God. And then there's the Holy Spirit that says, here's the truth. Remember we talked last week about the, the importance of yielding to the Holy Spirit. And Paul's talking about that all through Romans 6, 7, and 8. He's saying you got to yield to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit be your God. And Paul's saying, you know, in that wrestling match, I lose a lot. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't mean to do, I do. And he's, he's actually talking about that. Then he says, verse 21... Just look at verse 20 if you want to see it. If I am doing the very things I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. That inner sin nature in me is driving me to this, all this wrong stuff. So I find this principle, he says, verse 21, that evil is present in me and the one who, the one who wishes to do good. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. In other words, he says, I agree with God's law. Inside me is not a good person but a bad person. We had this whole thing at camp, uh, at senior high camp this year. I spent, I don't know, how was it? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So about five of my ten lessons was, we're not good. You're not good, you're not good, you're not good, you're not good. There's nothing good about you. The Bible says there's nothing good about us. No, good people don't go to heaven. Sinners go to heaven that are saved by the grace of God. But there's no good people in heaven. They're all sinners. They got saved by God. And so we got to stop saying we're good. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one good. Stop saying you're good. And so after we got that theme going for a couple of days and I was pounding on it, I'd be walking through the cafeteria and, I, and somebody would go, morning, Pastor Dan, how you doing? I go, I'm good. And they go, no, you're not. I go, you're right. I'm not good. I'm not good today. I'm a bad person. So it was really interesting because it caught on after a little while. You're going, they would hear that word good and go, we're not. But that's what Paul's trying to say. In me, I agree with the law of God. In me, there's not a good person. There's a person that struggles and does exactly the opposite of what God would have. And so he says, look at verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Now there's an interesting um, historical study of this. The Romans had a lot of ways of killing people. They were very creative in it. They were very 
grotesque and brilliant in their ways of, of killing people. The crucifixion was one of them. One of the ways they would kill certain people, and, and I've, I've tried to research and find out why you got this particular sentence, but they would actually take a corpse, a dead person, and strap it to a live person and make him walk around with a corpse strapped to his back. So he's carrying, and that was his sentence, was to do that. Well, the disease of the rotting corpse would eventually overwhelm and kill the person that's carrying around. It took days, by the way, and it was horrifying. I mean, it was just terrible. Can you imagine having a corpse, a rotting corpse strapped to you? That's just horrible, right? Well, that's what Paul's reference is here. They say that the, the technical Greek words that he's using, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? I have this body of death strapped to me who's going to set me free oh and this next verse if you underline things in your bible and if you write I, told, I tell you all the time write the word grace every time you see it here's the grace line of, of romans chapter 7 thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord thank that's who jesus christ can set you free from the body of death he's actually can take that death and take it to the grave where he died and give you life not death he offers life, not death, total opposite of what you're struggling with and you're, you're literally living towards death. And Jesus, he, Paul says, thanks be to God. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, my sin nature. But on the other hand, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So he's saying, I'm trying to serve God, but sin keeps overwhelming me. And so when you hear all that, you go, well, I, I can identify with that. You know, I don't mean to lose my cool, lose my temper at times, but I do. I don't mean to struggle and stumble and say things that are hurtful to people I love, but at times I do. You know, I don't mean to struggle with sins in my life, but I let them overwhelm me. So Paul goes, who's going to deliver me from that? Well, here's the great answer. Jesus Christ, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So the, the truth about who Christ is, the reality... Christ came to save us from our sins is right here in Romans chapter 7 just before you get to this whole chapter of promises that we're going to look at. So if you want the freedom that comes in chapter 8, you have to have trusted the Savior of chapter 7. You have to say thanks to Jesus Christ who is my only means of salvation. Acts chapter 4 says there's no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved. So here's this beautiful chapter 8 we're going to look at that's all tied to um, the relationship that we have with Christ. And here's what it says. There is therefore now, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about freedom from condemnation. For you ADHD people, not freedom from concentration. <laughs> freedom from condemnation, okay? How to be free from condemnation. The truth is, when Jesus died on the cross, he set us free from that. We just need to understand how we're free from that. And uh, I'll just t tell you as a pastor, I can tell you some stories where I've had to say, you know, God, in your eyes, in your eyes, I know I'm doing all I can do and I'm doing the best I can do. And there's, there's criticism, there's condemnation, there's people that are judging, there's people that understand bits and pieces. Some people understand maybe more than I even understand, but either way... I've got to live in the freedom that you give me not to feel condemned. Or I'm going to get in this, you know, depression. I'm going to wallow around and, and struggle and fail. So freedom from condemnation is what we want to talk about. Um, the reality is that all of this is that you don't have to ever have condemning thoughts or fears 
or even condemning friends. Here's three common sources of condemnation. Three common sources. Number one is other people. Others. (laughs) Others condemn us all the time. No name calling, no finger pointing this morning in our beloved, wonderful church of unity and bliss and happiness. But we can get it on each other's nerves at times and we can judge each other. We judge people and then we go talk badly about them. Listen to what James chapter 4 verse 11 says. By the way, we're studying the book of James on Thursday nights in one of the homes. I'm, I'm doing a study and we've got a long ways to go before we get to chapter 4. Man, this is an interesting passage. James 4 verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not tell evil lies about each other. If you speak against your fellow believer or judge them, you're judging and speaking against the law they follow. And when you are judging the law, you are no longer a follower of the law. You've become a judge. And that's where, here's what James says. God is the only lawmaker. I'm going to tell you how this translates out into modern-day millennial brains. You know, who are you to consider yourself God to judge other people that way? And by the way, he's not talking about judgment that keeps you safe. We all have to make judgments to keep ourselves safe. There are certain people you should not ever let your family or friends hang around. That's safe judging. That's good judging. Matter of fact, Jesus, there's a passage horribly misquoted all the time in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. um, In the old King James, it says, Jesus' words in red letters. Judge not that you be not judged. See, Jesus himself says, don't judge. We should never judge others. That's not at all what that passage says. It's completely opposite of what it says. Because in his next verse, he says, For in the way that you do judge is how you're going to be judged. So you better learn to judge properly. If somebody has a, a twig or a, a splinter in their eye, you need to get the log out of your eye before you take the splinter out of their eye. Don't judge harshly or wrongly till you've examined yourself. Jesus tells us we're supposed to judge one another to examine whether people are are healthy or safe and whether this is good for my family, my environment, is a healthy church. You should judge every church you go to. You should be looking for good signs of healthy, you know, God-centered, well-focused, well-balanced people. That's just safe and smart for your family. But the judgment that James is talking about is when people get together after their fellowshipping together, because he's talking to his church, by the way, his, his group of believers. And he's saying, y'all need to stop condemning each other, nitpicking each other, judging each other down. You're literally condemning and judging them down. Paul or James is saying that is not healthy. Uh, when you do that, you're judging the law. God is the only lawmaker and judge. He's the only one who can save and destroy. So it is not right for you to judge your neighbor. He's saying, leave some of that up to God. And I'm telling you, just in in all my years of church life, sometimes we just need to back up and go, it's in God's hands, it's not my call. I don't need to make a judgment there. I don't need to be critical of this person or critical of their activities or behaviors because I don't have the discernment or understanding or the big picture that God has. So I'm going to let him, Paul says in Romans, I'm going to let the one who created him judge him. You know, he's, he, we're, we're all servants to Christ. So let the master be the judge rather than us be judges. There are times when we just need to back up and stop doing that. But, and the truth is, you're going to be one on the other side of that too. Sometimes you're going to get judged. Sometimes people are going to go, oh, you know, I don't, think, I don't think the pastor should have come to church in blue jeans today. He's wearing blue jeans and he's untucked his shirt. 
what is wrong with him? You know, that's just, that's just disrespectful to God. I'm not, I'm just, that may be something I've heard, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's a challenge. You know, when I go to camp, there's, there's all these generations of people at camp, and some think the way um, we do the services at camp, um, the, the way that we use um, videos or PowerPoint or some of that stuff, some of the old-timers there are just like, I don't think all that's necessary. You're manipulating the kids. I'm going, no, we're just trying to reach a generation that's completely absorbed in the video world and the screens and in the cool stuff that you can do with videos. And if they like it, they listen. If they don't like it, they shut down. You know, they go totally out zombied on us. But it's interesting because I'm in, I'm in camp and I'm trying, I went to camp to reach kids for Christ. And there's, there's, a, there's a whole section of camp leadership that's having dialogues in back rooms that I eventually walked right into, by the way, because I'm the kind of guy that would walk right into that room and go, hey, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> um, but, but about how we do chapels. And I'm going, you know, I'm the guy doing chapel, so we, shouldn't I be in this meeting? Can't we, or shouldn't, and actually, well, never mind. I'm not going to tell you what's that. You can ask about that later. <clears throat> so, but it's interesting, isn't it, that, that there's, we can condemn one another, one another, and it's dangerous and unhealthy for us to get on that bandwagon and do that. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, good people have good things in their hearts, so they say good things. And this is the verse I want you to hear. But evil people have evil in their hearts, so they say evil things. I tell you that on the judgment day, people will be responsible for every careless thing they've said. The words you have said will be used to judge you. Some of your words will prove you right. Some of your words will prove you guilty. Jesus is literally saying, out of a good tree flows good fruit, and out of a bad tree comes bad fruit. And he's saying some, some trees are just bad. And some people you run into, they are just going to be negative and condemning to you. So one of the sources of condemnation that comes into your life and my life is your co-workers, your neighbors, your family, your friends, your best friends sometimes. It's people. The people right up against us become the ones that speak negatively about us and hurt our feelings, and it hurts. It really hurts. You can get very... Uh, wounded your heart can take a deep wound and it caused you i know people and, and kendall could verify this with me for many in, at many different angles but i know people who will never go back to church period not a church like i'm never going to that church again no it's not it's i'm never going to a church ever again because this person said this or this person did this i helped cut grass for a lady who will never go to this church ever as long as she lives because 35 something years ago one person in her home said one thing out loud that hurt her feelings and I mean it hurt her bad and she didn't realize she you know it was a problem but it hurt her so bad she's never ever coming here ever or any church by the way ever I mean it's just that kind of deep wound now obviously the Lord's you know some of us that are loving her trying to work her through all that but that's a, just a deep deep wound we can get offended by other people, and we can be condemned by other people. Well, here's what Romans 8 says. Listen real carefully. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when somebody condemns you, then you have to go, all right, here's what I need to do. 
you're, you're looking at me for the way I dress today. I have to go, you know, is the Lord dishonored with this? Am I, am I, are me and God okay? There's no condemnation. Those are in Christ Jesus. And I, I take it to that next level and go, Christ has me covered. He has me covered. I'm okay. So here's a second group, uh, second place that we get condemned. This is one of the hardest ones to deal with, by the way. Ourselves. Often, you're your worst enemy in condemning thoughts. And if this section rings true to you, um, I'll tell you it rings triply, doubly true to me. I have very, I struggle with negative self-talk. Um, I put myself down a lot. I, I, you've seen the slides, and you'll see them again when we do Flawless in a few weeks um, as one of our songs. But um, I struggle with kind of a low self-esteem where I, I, I think I, I'm worried about people being critical of me. And so I get very critical of myself. Sometimes our self-talk is filled with more condemnation than our neighbors or friends dish out. It's like somebody could say, well, you know, those are, those are interesting shoes you're wearing. You know, and then I'll go home and go, man, they, my, they told me my shoes were ugly. No, they didn't. They said they were interesting. <laughs> you know, but we can turn it into a negative real fast, real fast. And you can hear negatives in your head that were ne- never said otherwise. We, we get negative self-talk going. We can put ourselves down for 100 good reasons that we can name in ourselves. We can look at our own failures. I can, look at, I can list my failures. All the, I keep a long list of them. I shouldn't, but I do. We see our decisions and how they have consequences and how they hurt those we love. We see our weaknesses. We see our arrogance. Sometimes we just see our raw, foolish behavior. Ever just look at yourself and go, I'm an idiot. I'm just the dumbest guy I've ever met. What's wrong with me? That was really foolish to do that. Kind of like when I walked into the little group at camp at Kitchen and just said, shouldn't I be part of this conversation? That didn't go well, by the way. <clears throat> so I had to, had to work backwards through a bunch of that. But we see our rebellion. Can you just look at yourself sometime and see yourself as rebellion going, you know, Lord, I know you want me to do this, but I'm doing that. And I'm just going to let grace cover me because I know grace will cover me. That's rebellion. That's actually mocking the cross at some level. And we have a struggle to do that. And so once we recognize that enemy within and all that struggle that Paul was talking about in Romans 7, we see all that. We can get very condemning. I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible, awful person. And we can start a dialogue in our head. You know, I'm the worst pastor there is. I just, I'm 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 the worst dad in the world. I don't know. I'm a terrible mom. You know, why do I do that kind of terrible stuff? And we let that negative self-talk Okay, start taking root and spinning itself into negative, 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 negative. And I just want to tell you, here's what I have to do sometimes when I'm counseling people that I hear all that coming from them. I just, I just do a timeout and I say, anything that you're hearing in your head about yourself right now, even as you failed, anything you're hearing in your head, would Jesus ever say it that way to you? Would he ever say you're an idiot? Would he ever say that? No. Would he ever say you're a terrible father? No, it's not going to come out of his mouth. He's going to create a way to say it encouragingly. He's going to speak the truth in love, which is what we're taught in the Bible, by the way. Speak the truth in love, but it's going to be in a way that builds you up, not tear you down. If the negative self-talk is tearing you down, that's not from God. There's only two possibilities now. It's either from yourself or from Satan. And if it's really, really, really negative self-talk, Satan taught you how to do it and you learned it well and you've got a tape playing in your head... You just let it play over and over and over. And it's dangerous to us. We have to learn to unplug our self-talk and say, what's the real truth here? The truth is I'm a sinner. Can you imagine 
the self-talk that Adam would have had? Adam lived in the Garden of Eden in a perfect garden created by, created by God. It was absolutely perfect. Us in our real beautiful humidity of Mobile, he never sweated. There was no sweat in the garden. Can you imagine working the garden without sweating? No, we can't because stupid Adam messed all that up. He lived in a garden where you could work as hard as you want. You didn't sweat. And everything grew perfectly and it was wonderful. And God gave him a beautiful woman to be alongside him as his companion. And he messed every bit of that up. And when he sinned, every single child that would ever be born ever would now go through death. Every single one of them. Do you think he had some negative self-talk in his senior years? When, when his sons, one of his sons killed his other son, when Cain killed Abel? You think Adam went, oh, it's all on me, man. If I had just turned away from that fruit, I should never listen to that. You think he had negative self-talk when literally clans started forming and people started having wars and, and fights and struggles with each other and turning evil? Remember how bad it got in Genesis 6 where God goes, you know what, I'm done. I'm done wiping it all out. And he sent a flood to destroy millions of people. Do you think Adam felt any responsibility? I think he did. I think, I think God had to give him a special grace to not actually kill himself over all that. Because that's heavy. So there is a reality that we are sinners and we do fail. The Apostle Peter, great example. The Apostle Peter lied... Uh, or denied Jesus when he, when he had the opportunity to speak for Jesus. He denied him. The, the night before that, he actually was sleeping when he should have been praying. And he was talking back to Jesus when he should have been listening. And then when you advance his life past the, the crucifixion of Christ and Christ's resurrection, Peter's still so distraught that he quits serving God as a disciple and goes back to fishing. John 21, he says, I am going back to my fishing business. He gets his boats and he goes out and fishes all night and catches nothing, by the way. Which is God's plan to go, well, your fishing thing's not working too good. Then Jesus meets him on the seashore, calls out to him, throw your nets on the other side. And that's when they pull all the fish in. Peter swims, jumps out of the boat and runs, swims to Jesus and runs to him. And Jesus recommissions Peter, who was a, a failure, a denier, attempted murder he tried to murder Malchus in the garden when he took the sword and tried to cut off his head but he missed and got his ear because Malchus was smart enough to move his head you know what I'm saying Peter was a mess of failure 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 and Jesus says come on no condemnation we're going let's we're going forward Peter forward follow me that's what he says first thing Jesus ever said to Peter follow me John 21, after Peter, failure, 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 mess, 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 mess. Jesus goes, Peter, follow me. Feed my sheep, follow me. And Peter does begin to follow him. And Peter actually preaches messages in the book of Acts where 3,000 people get saved. 5,000 people get saved. By the time you get to the middle of Acts, when Peter's shadow passes across somebody that's sick, they're healed. The power of his shadow, failure, 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 failure. Jesus goes, come on, follow me, follow me, follow me. Jesus did not condemn Peter for all of that. He actually explained it ahead of time and knew he was going to do it and still said, come on, follow me, come on, follow me. 
And he, he challenged Peter. He doesn't, our, our self-talk needs to sound like Jesus' talk, which is get your act together and get with me. Come on, we're going this way. Walk, talk, share, and love. The whole series we just did on Jesus Simple. So here's the third source of our, our condemnation, and that's Satan himself. And he's the master of making our minds work the way we just talked about. So I'll just read you one of the verses from Revelation 12. Satan, our greatest enemy, and he works very hard to mess with our minds. He's called in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. I love this. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God by day and night has been cast down. He's the accuser of the brethren, but he's not in charge. So when you're letting, if you're letting Satan or Satan's dialogue that's gotten trapped in your head condemn you, who's on your throne? Who's your king? Who's your ruler? Who's your leader? Who's your God? The whole point of Revelation 12 is he's cast down. The accuser of the brethren doesn't count. When God, when you stand before God for judgment, if you have Jesus as your Savior... The Bible says he is your, he's your lawyer. He's right there with you, and he's not going to let you lose the case. He's even going to tell Satan. There's a, there's a great passage in the Old Testament um, where Jesus tells, um, where, where it's called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, but it's Jesus tells Satan in a courtroom setting, he tells Satan, leave. It's in the Hebrew, and this is just my loose translation, it means don't let the door hit you on the way out, Satan, you're done. You know? He says, I rebuke you, and, and I, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and I rebuke you, leave. And, and, and the picture that this uh, Old Testament prophet seeing this, this vision in heaven of judgment, literally Satan is told to leave the courtroom because God is going to look at Jesus and say, well, your servant here is filth, clothed in filthy garments. Jesus is going to go, yeah, but I got the clean stuff for him. And Jesus literally has the angels reclothe. It's the guy, the priest's name is Joshua. Reclothe Joshua. So Jesus had every chance to condemn him and go, man, you shouldn't be in a courtroom smelling like that, looking like that. You're in trouble because God doesn't let filth in his presence. Jesus walks into the courtroom and goes, Satan, you get out. Stop accusing him. And by the way, my angel's fixing to change all that because he's mine. See how Jesus does it? It's not condemnation. And we need to remember that Jesus is the one whose opinion matters. Jesus' opinion matters. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know Christ your Lord and Savior, no condemnation. You don't have to live in condemnation. You don't have to let others condemn you. You, don't have to let your, you definitely don't need to let your self-talk condemn you. And when Satan tries to stir it all up, you've got to go, hey, you're not in charge. Your, your words don't matter to me at all. They don't. So it's important for us to see those sources... And kind of get a handle on it and say, I don't want to live in condemnation. I don't want to live in condemnation. I'm going to trust Romans 8 to be true. I'm going to claim Romans 8, 1, true for myself. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can live free from condemnation. So, But I do want to give you a quick perspective on failures because I think this is a cultural issue that we're really struggling with. Our next generation is struggling with. Our new parents will struggle with. I'm not talking about the ones that are here because y'all are brilliant, wonderful parents, but those in your generation are in big trouble with this okay so here's a perspective on failures it's very important because we're trying our culture is trying very hard not to believe this word failure ever happens the reality is sometimes you do lose 
You know, we were, Josh and I were listening to, to one of my morning uh, fun shows that I listened to, the Rick and Bubba show, and they were playing a couple of clips from, uh, they're replaying stuff from this last week. And, uh, and one of the guys on there is a coach. And he's, he's moved to California, and he's trying to coach football and baseball out there for little kids. And he, he, he left the deep south and moved to California, and so he's coaching like he's in the deep south in California. And he's yelling at his kids and trying to get them all motivated and tell them, we're winners, they're losers. And some parents freaking out going, don't call them losers, nobody's a loser. He's like, no, if we win, they lose. That's how that is. If we're winners, they're losers. And he's trying to sort all that out with them. And, you know, he's like, all these kids, you know, they all have, their parents put every pad on them. They look like they're going to play football when they're actually just playing baseball. they got pads all over them, you know. And he's like, we used to play on broken glass, you know. We were... We were kids that didn't have any pads. We just played. But he's trying to help the families understand. And they're like, oh, we don't keep score. You know, that whole thing where now they don't keep score with kids. Well, that's because they don't want the kids that lose to get their feelings hurt. I'm sorry. That's a terrible idea culturally. It's just wrong because not everybody's as good as everybody else. You know, nobody in this room can swim like the Olympic swimmers. Can you? Anybody? I'm just asking. Robbie? Anybody? You don't swim like an Olympic swimmer. If you think you do, you're an idiot. You know? You're an idiot. You know, that's in Jesus' name, you're an idiot. So <laughs> that's, not, that's not bad self-talk. That is reality, though. Here's the thing. We have to know reality. Jesus never denied reality. You know, I'm not as good. When I played football, I wasn't as good as my little brother. I wasn't. He was meaner. He loved loved running over people in football. That was the coolest thing to him. I tried to avoid those collisions. Those were not good for me. And I actually got knocked out two or three times in high school, so I was done. The coach asked me, did I want to be the water boy because you're not going to survive practice? I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I can do that. I can, do, I can pour water. But here's the thing. Not everybody's good. Not everybody wins. Sometimes you're going to fail at something you try. You know, you're going to try to learn to play an instrument, and you're going to go, you know what, I'm terrible at this. Don't lie to yourself. Now, here's the big thing. Parents, if your kids are playing an instrument and for five or six years they're working, 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 working at it and they're terrible, do not tell them they're good. Don't do it. As hard as you need to have mercy and say, good job, practice. you're having good practice. That's a good practice. But if they can't play that instrument, please don't convince them they can because their pastor one day has to tell them in front of you know, the church, you can't play that here. I'm sorry. I've had to have several conversations with young kids that were told all their life, you're good, you're good, you're good. And then you hear them sing or play something, you go, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. That was horrible. Ah, I'm dying here. But their family told them, oh, you're great. You know, Grandma wants them to be, but you're, that's the greatest song I ever heard. Sing it again. Oh, my gosh, it's horrible. Okay, we need to be, speak truth to our children, okay? So just, just the reality is sometimes you lose, and there's no such thing as winners, Right? There's no such thing as winners. And then God uses broken people. God uses broken people. Read the Bible. Moses, David. I mean, you just go down the list. Abraham. Abraham lied. Um, David, you know, murdered somebody, had an affair with somebody and murdered the husband. Uh, you know, Moses was a murderer. Elijah was this horribly depressed guy that just... Jonah was a terrible prophet. And then I already shared with you Peter's story. There's a ton of more examples in the Bible. There are very few people in the Bible that aren't struggling. 
I mean struggling to get it right. You know why? Because God wants us to know. You're going to struggle to get this. And it's okay. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to help you. But we're going to work through this together. So here's my little parental advisory before we move on. This is not going to be in your notes. I don't think it's in your notes. Maybe it is. Help your children learn to succeed and fail with grace. Teach them that failure is part of life. Okay, you don't need every child. Every child doesn't know, doesn't need to think they're going to get a trophy every time they do anything. I'm sorry. That's a terrible idea in our culture. I know we do it now. I'm sorry. Sorry for you parents that have children that are going to be in these, you know, it's like, hey, how many games y'all win? None. You know, so you, you won no games. No, but here's my trophy. So you won no games. You still got a trophy? Really? You know, when we won no games, we, we literally called the, the last game of the year. I played on a baseball team that won zero games. Zero games. My, I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And we won zero games that year. Now, we fought hard. And we almost won a couple, but then we lost them. So we were 0 and whatever, 0 and 11 or 12 or whatever the season was. And in our last game, we literally named it for ourselves as kids, the toilet bowl tournament. This is a team that's lost the most games against us who've lost all our games. You know, so it was do or die for us. And we did win that one game, okay? Barely by the skin of our teeth in the very last out, we won it. It was amazing, okay? And I was an important part of that. It was cool. As a 10-year-old, I remember every second of that play. But here's the thing. I had to learn to lose, 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 lose. I had to. You know, my nephew Dallas, he played on, he played on a municipal's team. With Mark was one of the coaches and some of the other coaches there. And uh, they won 113 or 14 games in a row. You know, they didn't lose. Matter of fact, they didn't know how to lose because they were that good. And all the way through from peanut A to, you know, all the way up through their, their last game they ever played. Now, they lost their very last game. And it devastated Dallas, which was hard for me, you know. Really, since the referees cheated, they shouldn't have lost. But it's okay. So I'm, I'm over all that, okay. But I'm just saying, he lost that game. Well, that was God preparing him to go play at faith, football at faith. You know why? Faith doesn't win football games regularly. They just don't. You, are you with me? Big Eddie, you know what I'm talking about. They don't win football games. And Dallas had to get a little taste to lose before he got on a team that wasn't going to do the win column, win column, win column, win column. Right? Because God needs us all to learn. You're not going to get things perfect. You're going to fail and you're going to mess up. Please tell your children when they mess up, hey, that was bad. You didn't, you didn't do that right, honey, darling, sweetie, pie. You didn't do it right. You're not good at that. Stop playing the piano. You're terrible. It's okay. So it's really okay to do that because if you don't do that, you set them up for the worst failure in the world as adults. And you teach them as adults that you've been lying to them all your life. That's not healthy for them. So please, please know the Bible saturated with people who fail so we can talk to them about failures and go, hey, it's okay. It's okay that you weren't good at that. We'll find something else that you're good at or we'll just, you know, we'll learn from this. Let's learn from our mistakes. So I'm going to give you one more perspective before we go on uh, being free from condemnation. It's my favorite story in the New Testament, John chapter 8. When Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, he goes up to the Mount of Olives, John chapter 8, verse 1. At dawn he appeared early in the morning. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him. He sat down to teach the people. And he's actually in the outer court of the temple. So you can hear the city waking up outside the temple courts. you got all these people moving their 
their carts and all their things in the place to sell in the marketplaces. And there's birds chirping everywhere. And there's, you know, probably dogs running down the street barking here and there. Because everybody's just waking up. And Jesus early in the morning in the temple with all those who would want to come hear him teach. And the teachers of the law, verse 3, had brought to him a woman caught in the act of adultery. So they got up before dawn because they had heard a rumor about some woman that was in adultery. And she was having an affair with somebody, not her husband. And they know exactly where they are. They've, they've got a spy network. The Pharisees had this massive spy network. And so they find her and they catch her in the act of They kick in the door, her and her lover in the bed. And she ends up in the court temple, in the temple court in front of Jesus. And the guy gets set free somehow. Okay? Now, my opinion is the guy was one of the guys, one of the Pharisees. Okay? They, one of their own guys that they knew was, was in a problem and handle, and they were going to deal with him as Pharisees. They're going to deal with him separately because they don't want to embarrass themselves. But she's the perfect person to put in front of Jesus because they're trying to get Jesus to, they're trying to catch him in a lie. They're trying to catch him breaking the law while he's teaching the law in the, new, in the temple. So they made her stand before Jesus and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says she should be stoned. Now what do you say? They were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. If he says, don't stone her, he breaks the law of the Old Testament. And he can't teach in the temple. As a matter of fact, he can actually be taken out of the temple and stoned for teaching against the law. It's kind of their hope, by the way. The Pharisees have got this great plan. They're brilliant-minded people. They're, they're the most educated people in Israel at the time. So they've come up with this really cool plan, this evil plan to get Jesus out. Now, if he says, go ahead and stone her according to the law, then all the people who are listening to Jesus talk about love and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and God's grace and favor are going to go, well, that was kind of painful. I don't really know if I like him because, you know, that was really ugly how he did that. So the Pharisees are figuring it's a win-win. They just didn't realize that they were doing the stupidest thing in the world by confronting Jesus with sin. A woman caught in sin. So Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Nobody knows what he wrote. When we get to heaven, it's on my list of questions. So see me in heaven and I'll tell you what he said. Um, (laughs) Because I'm dying to know, by the way. When they kept on questioning him, which means, and and in the Greek it means when they insisted like red-faced, they're the Pharisees. This is our temple. We protect this for the people of God, and we have an adulterous woman here who's caught in the act of adultery. We're asking you a question. Answer the question. You know, what do you say? They're really ready to. And Jesus just says, if any of you is without sin, let him be the one to throw the stone. It's okay to stone her. Really what he says. You're right. Law says stone her. It's okay to stone her as long as you do it by the law. Law says you can't have that sin in your heart. Not stone her. Remember when Jesus says you have to get the beam out of your eye before you can take the speck out of her eye? That's what he's saying. He said, it's okay to stone her as long as you're not guilty of that sin. Now, the oldest Pharisee in that whole bunch, standing in that temple court, it clicked in his head. Man, he got us. Oh, he's so good at this. <laughs> yeah, well, he wrote the law, by the way. So he's really that good. And so it says they drop their rocks and they all leave. It actually says, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older one first, till only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, she's been drugged through the, she's been drugged through the city streets. She's 100% guilty. Okay? She wasn't caught in, 
like the morning of or later and they say, well, we think she was having an affair. No, they kicked open the door to her bedroom, right? So it's over. She's 100% guilty. She deserves to die 100%. The law says you die. Guilty die. Guilty die. There's not a big trial in Jerusalem's uh, law. There's no big trial for the Jews here. You're just done. You're done. And the Pharisees knew that. They were actually taking her to stone her. Then they said, hey, we can use this to get Jesus. They stopped and threw her in front of the Redeemer. The Redeemer. Who says, there's no condemnation to those who are in me. So if you will just submit to me right here. See, they, they submitted her to him. Bad mistake on their part. That's what he does. He redeems broken people. He redeems sinners. He redeems people that have made messes of their lives. That's what he does. So he goes, yeah, sure, you can do that. As long as you're not guilty of that sin. Out they go. Just leaves the two of them to have the rest of the conversation. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Well, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people a minute ago condemning me. But now that I'm standing with you, here's what she says. No one, sir. And then he says, so here's what, here's what he could have said. So the law says the only person that could stone you is someone who's not guilty of your sin. Well, I'm sinless, darling. So I'm going to take you outside the court temple now, the outer wall of Jerusalem. I get to stone you to death. Because, see, the, the law says the one that's sinless can stone her. That's what the law says. Well, who's the sinless one in the room? Jesus. Not condemning, though. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Stop sinning. Love that translation. I think it's New Century Version. Stop sinning. <laughs> Change. And Jesus is actually saying to her very clearly, I'll just pay this debt for you. I don't condemn you. I could condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because he knows he's going to walk a hill to Calvary. He's going to pay for every sin she ever committed, and every sin I ever committed, and every sin you ever committed, and every sin you ever committed, and you ever committed, and you ever committed. He's going to pay for every sin... And say, once I pay for it, if you trust me and are in me, there's no condemnation to you. I took it all on me. That's the perspective I want you to have. Jesus took all our condemnation for us. You don't have to take it anymore. You don't have to live in condemnation. Others' condemnation, self-condemnation, or Satan's condemnation. You don't have to live in it because Jesus took it all on himself. And he looked at an adulterous woman caught in the very act, all beaten up and bloody because she'd been drugged through the streets and had rocks thrown at her already and food thrown on her and she's laying at the feet of Jesus and he goes neither do I condemn you best place to be by the way when you're struggling with your weight of condemnation either in your head or wherever is go to Jesus with it and he'll remind you no condemnation bow your heads with me we're going to sing a closing song